Hi, everyone. Just a reminder that this show is not legal advice, trading advice, financial advice, or personal advice. Enjoy the show, and thank you very much. Everything you said, they already knew, more or less. Well, here's something that you didn't know. This show is sponsored by Unibright, the unified framework for blockchain-based business integration. Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And about a month ago, we had this conversation with Taylor Monahan about starting a business in the crypto space. This was right after her transition from my Ethereum wallet to my crypto. And she had a lot of insights of what happened with that transition. Of course, it's old news for everybody already, but it was a good conversation. And the biggest thing that we wanted to talk about in this conversation was how to start a business in the crypto space what to look for what to watch out for what happened with her experience and how can we learn from it so we're gonna hear that conversation with taylor just a minute but before that please go to crypto101podcast.com that's crypto101podcast.com go to become a patron our patrons are the backbone of our community special episodes and rants commentaries interviews go on to there probably about once a week once every 10 days just for you guys also you can send us an email say matthew what's up Give us some suggestions, some comments. Please go to iTunes and subscribe. Leave us a rating and a comment. It helps us out a lot. And also join our Facebook group, our Twitter, or our Instagram. And now without further ado, a conversation with Taylor about starting a crypto company. Today, we want to go into and talk about starting a business in the crypto space. And we want to talk about this with you because the My Ethereum wallet and my crypto experience, I think, has a lot of valuable insight for people in the space that are new, that are thinking of making, say, an app, a website, a podcast, a YouTube channel, and then it might go somewhere that they didn't expect. And we want to know how that might progress for them and what to watch out for, what to do and what not to do. How does that sound? That sounds great. I'll do the best I can to shed some lights on some of the stuff that we've encountered and you can uh, not make the same mistakes I did. We don't know what mistakes that you made. So I want to ask you a very direct question. Would you consider your involvement with my Ethereum wallet a fail? No, because the thing is, is that Mew, especially like the acronym Mew, which the community kind of like the rust on us was my baby. It was like a part of my soul. And part of transitioning to my crypto, like part of the transition period was actually like psychological mm -hmm. for me to be like, okay, in order to ensure the longevity of the brand, in order to ensure the longevity of the team, in order to ensure that we can do what we need to do in order to continue building and being in a great situation, this has to happen. So to give you like a little bit of background, we went back and forth for maybe like six or seven months trying to figure out any solution that would enable the company to exist where me and the original co-founder would agree. Mm -hmm. Like it was not something that happened overnight. It wasn't something that happened over the course of a month. This was like for the better half of 2017 was something that we were trying to figure out. And the thing is, is that, you know, I started hiring in May. So by the time sort of ICO madness died down, and I was really in a position to be like, okay, 
we really need to get paperwork set up. We really needed to get a bank account set up. Like we didn't have a bank account for the company. We were paying, like I was paying all these bills on my credit cards, like my personal credit cards. I was paying people out of my personal accounts, trying to like keep track of the money and stuff alone was a nightmare, let alone trying to figure out if we were adequately covered from like a legal perspective for both the contractors working for us, what legal liabilities do we have in the larger crypto space, all of these sorts of things. So there's a lot of moving pieces when you have a company like this, especially in this space, finding adequate legal help where they understand crypto and they understand business is a hard one. And then obviously just getting everyone on the same page is more difficult than you may expect. There's a lot going on and we are trying to figure out a way where, you know, everyone gets what they want, right? Everyone's in an ideal position and everyone's happy and everyone's protected legally. And the reality was that just wasn't going to happen. And eventually I started to realize that if I continue to like, we only had independent contractors, we could only have independent contractors. However, we had people working like full time. <laughs> That's especially in the state of California, a really big no-no. Like, don't do that. There's very uh, distinct laws that say this is an independent contractor, this is an employee. And so we couldn't even discuss having employees because in order to have employees, you have to have a bank account because you have to have liability insurance and you have to have health insurance. You have to have all these things. And the reality is, is that we couldn't set up any of those things. So, you know, eventually I realized that just continuing in this holding pattern where I would just sit there and continue building the product, continue building the company, continue working through as many of the sort of issues as I could without any end in sight was really having a detrimental effect on the team, on me personally. And so that's why sort of the transition of my crypto finally happened was because I really felt that if I continued in the holding pattern, that was going to be the only thing that would cause failure. That was going to be like the only thing where it's like, okay, like you need to fire people or, you know, your ass is getting sued because they're an employee, not an independent contractor or right. not being able to really do the calculations on like the money coming in and out because it's all on these like individual credit cards because there's no bank account for the bank. These are some of the things that we're dealing with. As we talked in, you know, the other previous conversations that we had, this went from a hobby, an idea to a business. And I have to preface this a little bit. Everybody in this crypto space is kind of coming into it new because it's a new space. Nobody knows exactly how they're going to fit in, who's going to be here, who's not going to be here. Kind of like coins and ICOs, like which one's going to be here next year? We don't know. And it can be podcasts or YouTubers or apps or wallets or, or coin, whatever. Yet, even with me, even with Danny, there is a point where we have to decide this is a company. This is something that we're doing. This is a business and we have to start acting like a business. What have you learned about that transition? I mean, I think the main thing is do the normal things that you should do with a business. But when it's a hobby, it's not do the normal things as a business. It's I'm making videos right. with Danny. I'm doing podcasts with Danny. And then all of a sudden, what do you mean it's a business now? And then you have to have that hard conversation with Danny. I have to have it said, say, Danny. I get 75%, you get 25%. And he goes, what? And why are we doing this? Because it's only a hobby. <laughs> when do you bring up, and I, and I guess instead of saying, yeah, do the normal things as a business, how do you deal with that? How with do you, how, and when? Exactly. I think it's probably even a better one, yeah. I mean, I don't exactly know when because that's sort of where we were at, right? Like we originally set up the company, the LLC, that was my ether wallet LLC, in order to get the SSL cert. It wasn't in order to even like get the company set up or like have 
have a company or have agreements or anything like that. So I would say that if you intend to make money, if you intend to have this be something that's more than a long-term hobby, even if you don't expect it to go somewhere, but if you intend for it to be something that's going to be going on for a while, I would say start making a list of stuff that you want to do and start working your way through it. There's two reasons I say this. One is that you never know where things are going to go. Two, it's really quite cheap and fast to do like a basic LLC. And three, these things take time and they're not fun. So if you say, okay, we want to set up a company like a basic LLC or something, we want to have an actual lawyer kind of put together a basic operator's agreement or agreement between the parties that are doing this LLC or this company or whatever. We want to open a bank account. We want to open whatever, all those different things. It's really not fun to rush those. And it's really not even fun to do those all at once. So if you guys are, one, spending a significant amount of money, two, bringing in money, I think that's when you should definitely have some paperwork. When, some when you say, sorry, go when ahead. When you say spending a significant amount of money, do you mean like $1,000, $10,000? I mean, I think that's all personal, right? So like for us, my EtherWallet, the first year we spent probably less than $1,000 when it was all said and done on like servers and stuff like that. But also both of us were in a financial position where we had jobs, we were making money, we were kind of moving up in our careers. So for us, even if it had been $1,000 or $2,000 or $3,000 or $10,000 even, it wouldn't have made like a drastic sort of impact on our lives just because we were financially secure. That said, $1,000 to some people, depending on their life circumstances or their location in the world, their cost of living, et cetera, maybe a lot, or it may be putting a burden on them. And I'd say definitely like if that $1,000 that you're, you know, like let's say you pay 700 and your partner pays 250, you know, and then you're splitting hairs over it, trying to like work out the balances or pay people back or whatever. That's when you should probably have an agreement somewhere in writing, hopefully like have a lawyer do it because it makes your life easier. But even if you just have a written down agreement between you guys in a paper trail, that will help moving forward. I'd also like to point out that there's sort of two sides to things, having things on paper so that later on you can go back and reference it and you know what you agreed to. But also putting stuff on paper is so that both people or both parties know what the other expects out of them. And this is a really big one that I think gets overlooked, especially when you're dealing with legal documents and these sort of like not super fun things like operators agreements is what do you guys expect out of each other? Do you expect someone to be committing X number of hours per week? Do you expect someone to be maintaining the servers, doing the marketing? Like what is it that you expect out of them? And having that in an actual sort of formal written agreement or even just like an informal written agreement is really helpful, especially as you move forward. Because I think that if you don't do that, your expectations tend to change. And, you know, maybe one person's expecting something of the other and that person doesn't want to do that or doesn't know that it's expected of them. And then you're going to have you know, sort of like your normal social human problems, you know, you're going to have disagreements, you're going to have communication issues, etc. Did you did you have that with your previous partner at my wallet? No. Do you think that was something you would have done going back? You would put that in right away? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would have. I would have done so much differently. I mean, I think that for me personally, and like the My Wallet story, I think expectations were a big one because as sort of the community expected more of us or as additional sort of responsibilities were thrust on us or more time was required of us to even just like keep the servers online or do support tickets, at no point did we ever have a conversation that was like, hey, 
I'm now spending 40 hours a week. Like for me personally, it was like I was spending 10 hours a week or maybe like 40 hours a month and it would be like 20 hours one week and zero hours the next week. And the transition to ICO Madness in 2017 was like, okay, I'm now working 60 hours a week plus 20 hours a week for my existing clients, plus about 10 hours a week trying to organize stuff and get shit together and figure out what you're doing. And that was really frustrating for me because I felt like I didn't want to do that. (laughs) Nobody wants to do that. But when everything's taking off, I felt like I had a responsibility towards the community to keep putting in more hours to keep things online, to help people get the support they needed, et cetera. So I I have a couple questions that came out of that because you just said I would have done a lot of things differently. What are those lot of things? I mean, I could probably rattle things off, but I don't really have like a formal list. If I could go back in time, one, I would have set up the company earlier and made sure that the paperwork and all of the sort of formal things were done. I would have had informal conversations and informal agreements. I would have like the conversations that nobody really wants to have earlier, (laughs) for sure. I would have chosen to communicate differently when I was starting to like really struggle and like working, you know, 100 hour weeks and sitting in front of my computer all day and all night. If I could go back in time knowing what I know now, I would have <laughs> looking back like, fuck, dude, I was so sleep deprived. You know, I was mm. so frustrated. I was so overwhelmed. I just like I felt like I had this immense responsibility as people were asking for support and things mm-hmm. weren't working properly. And there was bug reports, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So I hope that if this were to happen again, and I knew what I know now that I would have chosen to really emphasize what I was doing and and also like what I expected out of my partner and if he had said no I don't want to do this or you know whatever it is then at least we could have that conversation earlier than we did but hopefully you'd have those sort of like expectations and agreements and make sure both people are on the same page even earlier than that right before the sleep deprivation and the anger kicks in (laughs) Are you and the old co-founder still friends? No, not for a while now. <laughs> so you guys are texting like, you know, hey, we're still good grab a beer, but you're an asshole. No, <laughs> no, that's been it's been a while since that happened. That's, that's, <laughs> it's been a long time. That sucks. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's like, I mean, fuck, I probably during like. 2016 like I talked to him more than I talked to my husband for a good amount of time there and he's probably like one of the only people in my life actually that I've talked to every single day so consistently and that's when the communication between us started to like break down it was like really weird because we'd always have the chat window open and like be just chatting and stuff and that went away and that sucks you guys are obviously not working together now do you want to have a new co-founder with my crypto are you looking for that or you want to run this solo So the team has like really evolved nicely. Like when we were first hiring people, I couldn't give anyone like the attention they deserved as like a manager, as a leader. And so everyone that sort of survived that period and is still with the company and still dedicated to the company, they're all very self-sufficient leaders in their own rights. And then with my husband who came on board to like just like basically fill in the holes, you know, we're pretty, I would be hesitant to bring on someone super high level at this point because I feel like it would just drop the team too much and I like that the CTO Daniel the CMO Jordan like they've grown into those roles because they had to fight the good fight to survive during during chaos time when Taylor was like not sleeping at all and Taylor was still trying to answer all the support tickets and you know what I mean it's like I feel like we're gonna have to hire some higher level people at some point but right now I'm super stoked on how the team works together and the sort of individual leadership responsibilities that everyone has just because they had to 
And right. I think that they deserve that. I have a question about, again, the evolution of you doing business in the crypto space and maybe your maybe ideology or mindset. Because I remember in our first conversation, you said that you brought one of your, the best managers you've ever had to work with my Ethereum wallet. During this process of you know my Ethereum wallet, then going to my crypto, bringing him over, first, is he still with you at my crypto? Did he come with you? And the yeah. second, well, good, yes, that's great. <laughs> but the second <laughs> part is, has your idea of people and their intentions and the way that you approach people changed? Do you, do you deal with them the same way in, in a business sense? Or do you keep them now at arm's length? Or do you still like embrace them as like buddies and friends? Or is there a balance? Or, well, or, or, or all the big hugs turn into knife wounds and stabs? And now you're just like, well, I'm not going to get stabbed anymore. Yeah, fuck people. No, my personal like evolution has been sort of an evolution in itself of trying to figure out how to be like a manager, figure out how to lead a team. When you're building a product and it's just sort of you and, and your co-founder or maybe just yourself or whatever, it's a way different environment than when you have like a community of people that need it. And when you have a team of people under you that uh, are like all working with you to like make this thing succeed. But at the end of the day, like if I make the wrong decision, like this is this is what sucks about being a boss. Okay. If I fuck up, like if I make a bad decision with this company, that's on my ass. Like that's my fault. Like I have to live with that. I'm going to have to like tell people that they no longer have a job. I'm going to have to say sorry a whole bunch. And there's nothing like that's it. Like that's all I have is like apologies and like right. hopefully like a sick severance package for the entire team that I suddenly <laughs> have to fire because I fucked up. What's the difference between that and an employee who fucks up and totally wrecks shit for you? Like bad code and everyone's private keys are now exposed or something. Well, because that employee, like they can go get another job, I guess and they don't have to fire anyone. <laughs> it's a psychological thing. Like if I made a bad decision a couple of years ago with my Ether wallet and the product like ceased to exist, I would have to go out and find clients or figure out if I wanted to do something else in the crypto space or whatever. That would just sort of be me. And then my co-founder too, like he would have his own little personal journey there as well. But neither of us have ever been relying on each other or like relying on each other financially, especially. So that's way different than today if I fuck up and the company ceases to exist tomorrow, I have to fire like 20 people. I have to like tell them, sorry, you no longer have a job and I no longer can afford to pay you in the company. The product no longer exists. The company no longer exists. Goodbye. That's a hard conversation to have with one person, let alone with 20, especially if it's like coming down on your head because I fucked up. If it's some external so, force, like it still sucks. But like if it's something that either due to my actions or even my inaction, like I just don't know what I would do. Like I'd probably like sit in the corner and cry for like days before having 20 of those conversations. Hmm. I think that's a very natural response, though. I'd probably cry my butt my eyes out. You said that you had a had a job. And I guess a lot of people that are making YouTube videos or, you know, coins or like I know a couple of coins out there that people have jobs and they're starting to do the development <laughs> on their side, you know, while raising their kids and stuff like that. But then there's a point where you had to make the switch. You had a full time job and you said, OK, now I quit my job and I am my Ethereum wallet and I'm my sort crypto. Of. This is this is what this is what I do now. Or was it how did that transition happen? I had a variety of clients at this point. So I was just doing freelance building websites for a whole bunch of different clients. 
So my Ether wallet, it used to just fit in with these clients. Like I would have usually maybe 10 to 20 hours a week would be like maintaining or updating or doing little things for this like binder of clients that I had. And then maybe 20 hours a week would be spent on like building a new website that I had gotten. And then, you know, fill in the holes there, maybe five hours, maybe 10 hours a week with my Ether wallet. But again, like at the very beginning, it was like we would work for maybe 20 hours, 30 hours, we'd be up all night for like two, three nights straight. And then we wouldn't do anything. Like I would work maybe an hour on, on my ether wallet. Like, and just, I don't even call it work because it was just hanging out on Reddit. So I would say that when you make that decision, however that decision comes to be, I mainly just like phased out the work. Like I didn't look for new projects. <laughs> like I didn't take on new projects. And then it was obvious that uh, I couldn't support my existing clients or like continue maintaining their stuff. So I transitioned those out. So um, it's just a natural like evolution. That. Like it just happened. For me, okay. because I was lucky, because I was just doing contract work out as it was. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have like a full-time job job where you're like working at an office, say, that's going to be really a different thing. And I would say that you'll know. In my experience, there's two reasons you would like quit your job for your your startup or your hobby project or whatever. One is that you're just so freaking unfulfilled by your job that it's just making you miserable and it's like rubbing off on the rest of your life. That's honestly a good reason to leave that job. The other one is that, you know, the startup is getting some traction or you think that, okay, if I can dedicate full time to this, then I'll be better off. I think both are reasonable reasons to quit the job. Obviously, if you have like a mortgage and you have kids and you have other responsibilities in life, it can be a really, really hard decision. And you sure. just need to make sure that, you know, maybe you say, okay, in three months, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to save every cent I get. I'm not going to go out to dinner with friends. I'm not going to buy new clothes, et cetera, et cetera, so that you have some padding for that, you know, when you leave your job. I'm assuming you are already making a bit of money off of my Ether wallet at the time. If someone else is already making money, that should help with that situation, right? Of course. Right. And so that's what I mean. Everyone's sort of financial situation is different. For me, it was phasing out clients and not taking on new projects wasn't a huge burden for me because what's the worst that could happen? You know, Ethereum could crash or I could run out of money. And the answer is, OK, I need to go out and get a new website. You know, I was also let's see, I just got married. I'd, I have a husband who works. So between the two of us, it just wasn't a big deal. We were also both working so much at the time that we didn't really spend our money. <laughs> So we had quite a bit of savings should the worst happen, which is you get rid of all your clients, you quit your job, whatever, your startup also fails. <laughs> Yeah. And you're out of money. You know, we had a bit of padding. And then obviously we have, you know, the little bit of crypto that we had bought really early on. Worst case scenario, we could have sold that. Again, like we were Hey guys, TiVo here to tell you about the Ufi video lock, a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell all in one. That's right, three in one for triple the security. It's easy to install. All you need is a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. It gives you keyless entry, so no more fumbling your keys when you have your hands full coming back from the grocery store. No more worry about the kids losing a house key. No more worry about a guest losing the house key or forgetting the passcode on your door. And for Airbnbers, it's a no-brainer as you can change the passcode at will between renters. It has available fingerprint recognition and it has AI self-learning chips. So the more you use it, the more accurate it's going to be. You will have no anxiety with the battery charging. It is a rechargeable battery and it lasts around four months. But don't worry, when it's low, it'll give you plenty of weeks notice. And also, it always comes with a physical key as a backup. There's no monthly fee, unlike other brands that charge you a monthly fee to get your backup requirement 
recordings. They're always recorded locally and you will always have access. Customer support for the Eufy Video Lock is 24-7, so you don't have to worry about any issues you have, and it comes with an 18-month warranty. What I love about this product is it is truly all-in-one. With the three-in-one, you don't have to go out and buy multiple parts. It's all in this package with the Eufy Video Lock. So if you're interested in learning more, go on Amazon and search Eufy Video Lock. That's E-U-F-Y Video Lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock. Again, that's E-U-F-Y Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock. Get complete control over your front door. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. <laughs> I could really use Current. <laughs> I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. We're very lucky. Like my life situation, the fact that we were in a part of our lives where we were getting more and more financially secure, that kind of stuff. For every single individual, it's going to be a different thing. And, you know, I think having conversations with people around you that you trust, having conversations with people that are older than you who have made hard choices or people who have quit their job. I think that all of these things, you know, are good things to do before you kind of make the leap. And now a word from our sponsor, Unibright.io. Unibright is a team of developers with 20 plus years of experience in business integration. Nowadays, most companies have strong interest in blockchain technology, but struggle to use it. That's why Unibright created the Unibright framework. Unibright makes it easy to integrate blockchain technology into existing businesses. All you have to do is pick a template that fits your specific case, customize the business integration workflow, then Unibright will automatically generate all objects you need for blockchain-based business integration, smart contracts, smart adapters, and smart queries. For more information, go to unibright.io. That's U-N-I-B-R-I-G-H-T dot I-O. Their token sale starts April 10th, 2018. And now, back to our show. What suggestions would you give people that have a, a hobby in the space right now that want to turn into a business? 
figure out what you want to do, figure out if it's reasonable to achieve that. So sometimes like hobbies are good as hobbies. They're valuable to you because they don't take up all your time. Right. And so just like you may hate your nine to five job because you're there all day or whatever, don't forget that your 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 side project, your hobby that you work on 10 hours a week or 10 hours a month, even just make sure that you kind of want to do that full time. Secondly, if you decide that this is what you want to like dedicate yourself to, like fully and completely be both like mentally prepared for that and then also actually organizationally prepared for that. The whole psychological thing is a big part that people don't talk about enough, I think. Be like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to I'm gonna actually dedicate myself to this. Don't be like, hey, I'm going to figure this out as I go and maybe it works, but I'm going to quit my job anyways right now. Like, don't do that. Like, be ready to do this and then make a list of shit that you need to get done in order to make it happen. So whether that's monetizing, whether that's like, okay, we need to be making X amount of dollars in three months or six months or whatever, you know, whether like hiring a team, do you need a person? Do you need an assistant? Do you need a partner? Like make sure that you have a plan or some semblance <laughs> of a plan. Like don't be scared if that plan changes though mm. and evolves. Don't be like, Hey, I'm going to quit my job. or I'm going to go full bore on this, but also I have no idea like what I need to do, like have a plan. And then if you get feedback or you, want to like kind of change the direction a little bit or you're really enjoying like this part of it but not that part of it figure out how to how to make that happen and don't be scared to kind of change that plan for someone who wants to start monetizing in the crypto space obviously it depends on the business what might be best for you but what are some ideas you can think of for people to monetize so definitely there's a ton of like affiliate programs out there. Ledger has a good affiliate program. Trezor has a good affiliate program. Keepkey has an affiliate program. It's really easy to set up like donation addresses in the crypto space. And then you can also do rev share agreements with like Shapeshift has one, Coinbase has one. And these are basically little widgets that you can like put on your site or something that enable people to like either buy crypto with USD or swap between different cryptos or whatever. Now, obviously it depends a lot on your website and how things are set up. And because of the nature of my crypto, like the nature of the website, I was really uncomfortable with ever even discussing ads because I felt that it was just messy. I didn't want to track our users. And I felt like most advertisers want to know how many users you have or the click-through rate. I didn't want to deal with like refers or bad code or anything. So pretty early on, we decided no ads. However, I'd say for like podcasts, for blogs, for anything where like these affiliate links don't make as much sense. I think that there are a lot of ways that you can do ads that are respectful, not, not so intrusive. Exactly. You know, I listen to a ton of podcasts and I honestly don't mind when the podcast has a couple breaks for ads. I do like Patreons for a number of podcasts that I really, really love to get like the ad free versions, mostly because I want to support the podcasters, not because I like hate ads that much. Patreon, I think the real benefit is the recurring revenue. Yeah, yeah. Matt's got that set up for Crypto 101. Yes, he does. Okay, um, what yes, about guys? Go to Patreon <laughs> and support Crypto One Hundred and One. Yes, and now a word from our sponsors: Casper mattresses. Casper mattresses. When I check my Coinbase, I'm laying on a Casper mattress. I had a follow-up question, which was: With you, you're mostly doing affiliate commissions, from what I heard in another interview. Are you aiming to expand your monetization strategy to get more oh, yeah. opportunities, more ways to make money, even if it's service-based? And how? Yeah. When you have a, a side project slash real business that's doing pretty well from like affiliate links or rev share models or whatever they are, that's great. 
But when you have a team of people that are relying on you to pay them, relying on the sort of volatility of the crypto markets or whether or not like Ledger or Trezor are in stock at any given point is not a good business model. And that's like one thing that actually scares me most about the coming, you know, year, two years is at some point this market is probably going to either start going down or stagnating. Like we can't just go up in this fashion forever. And the problem with that is that when the market doesn't move, people don't trade, which means the affiliate commissions go way, way down. So we're looking at a whole variety of mechanisms to bring in some additional revenue. That's kind of giving people additional features, maybe some special features, and hopefully they'll be willing for these special features to spend a little bit of money to kick back to us. One example is the delayed transactions. So like if you want to send a transaction at a specific point in time, we can do that. So that's like one that we're building out right now. And that would be pretty cool. And that's an example of a feature where it's like, this is an additional little service. You pay a tiny little fee in order to get your transaction broadcast at a certain time. Uh, It's not something that you need to do. It's like an extra little thing. And so I don't feel as bad putting a fee on that as I do with just like standard transactions. And then also because of how that specific tool is built, the fee is actually, it's basically the incentivization strategy for having someone, anyone broadcast your transaction at this given time. So we're actually setting this up in a way that that fee doesn't necessarily go to us, right? That fee goes to uh, whoever broadcasts it. We will obviously (laughs) be trying to broadcast as many as possible. But in theory, you can have like sort of a market for these people and anyone could go and broadcast and collect these tiny little fees. But what about traditional fundraising? Are you trying to get VC money? We definitely are open to that. Obviously, you're giving up equity to your company, which can put you in a position where you're in less control or you have outsiders that actually own a share of your company. You know, some of the upsides, though, I see are like you can get really awesome people that are valuable to help contribute to your company. You don't have like random Joe on Twitter promoting your company or helping your company succeed. You have like people with actual power. And so maybe that's like resources that you may not otherwise have access to. Maybe that's like PR resources or connections to other people in this space. You know, I really think you might want to consider having paid customer service. Like Coinbase doesn't have customer service, and I think they're really missing out on providing extra value to their customers. And you have your email support, right? But like, what about live chat or, exactly. or anything like live that? Exactly. Live chat would be amazing. Yeah, yeah there's so many features to, to my crypto. We've definitely talked about that. We've talked about some fancy mechanisms because, of course, this, this is the thing about the fancy. crypto space, right? It's like everything has to be decentralized in smart contracts or tokens or whatever. So we've had a lot of conversations about this. My problem with having paid customer support right now, at least, I'm not saying that it'll never happen. I'm just saying that right now is that it basically eliminates anyone who can't like send a transaction because obviously if you're going to pay for customer support, it's probably going to be in crypto. Mm-hmm. And how does someone pay for customer support if their support question has to do with sending a transaction, sending a token, unlocking their wallet or something like that, which are a yeah. lot of our questions, by the way. So that would be one thing to work out. And maybe the answer is like, I don't know, we include PayPal or something, but that just feels so dirty. <laughs> like that just feels so wrong. It seems as though, and this is what I'm gathering from this conversation, and this is not where we want to go with this conversation, but I have to ask this. With yeah. the fees, with the customer support, with the evolution of my crypto, with the people that you're hiring, it seems as though you are in essence evolving into a bank. Or, you're gonna be you're gonna be a, a crypto bank, and you're yeah. gonna operate like a bank pretty soon with fees and customer service and support and all these little other schemes. 
It seems as though this is going to yeah, be a, a, a centralized bank. The only difference is that we're never going to like hold people's keys for them. So I think that that would be the key difference between being a bank and, and being my crypto. However, I think that as a lot of people are sort of realizing the more and more they dive into this space, uh, there's a lot of good things that banks do and regular companies do. And right. like we don't have to disrupt every single thing um, <laughs> having like real legit customer support is something that's so desperately needed in this space mm -hmm. and we definitely like we try and i think that most people have good things to say i hope about our customer support but at the same time like it's not like a bank's like you still can't call a number on your card and have some nice lady pick up the phone and which, help you with which i don't understand ever. why i think like brian armstrong's i think his name coinbase correct he's like yeah. he's like a billionaire and like coinbase is raking in billions I think, I like just pay for the shit <laughs> i think coinbase is actually starting phone customer support for like their top like if you do x number like x volume or have x money with them or whatever i think they're starting phone customer support for those and then it'll slowly be probably rolled out i'll Ooh. say the hardest thing about hiring customer support in this space is literally finding people to do customer support in this space well, i would assume that you could just outsource it to like a company that does it say from india or the philippines or decentralized that's how you normally do it because you get like six different questions and you give them the answers to those questions and then they answer those six questions mm -hmm. when you're dealing with crypto though we don't hire customer support people right we hire like crypto experts and then we teach them how to write a play email we don't do it the uh... other way around we don't hire customer support and teach them about crypto because it's way hard that's the most difficult thing, though, is that the variety and the scope of the questions that we get and then also the danger that if we answer a question incorrectly or don't pick up on a little detail, that could actually cause like lost funds. Right. Like imagine that someone is talking to like random customer support agent that you've outsourced and they write this big, long email about all these problems they're having sending. And they just like happen to like <laughs> drop their private key in the body of the email. Maybe they thought that they were copying their address or maybe they thought that their private key was their address, which, right. by the way, has happened. Now, our team <laughs> is super security minded and they will literally ignore everything in the email that the person said and they'll be like hey you just sent us your private key don't ever do that and we have a big long thing of everything they need to do now because regardless of what their question was the only thing that they need to do right now is move all their money to a new secure private key and obviously they need to learn how to secure their private keys in general these little tiny details i just can't imagine outsourcing it and this is like one example out of maybe we have upwards of like 300 template responses we typically don't just like send a template it'll be here's the instructions on how to do something uh, and then we like customize it or maybe we have to send two of them or, you know, the all these different sort of layouts depending on the person's problem. You, you need to have the best of my crypto support and just publish some of the stuff. I think it'll be hilarious. I really That's I our, really do think so. It's our backup plan. Uh, we have a folder actually of like <laughs> <laughs> of the, the best of the support box. So if the company for whatever reason fails, okay, <laughs> we're going to. We're going to publish a book that's like the best of support. And that's our severance packages right there. Oh, that is amazing. <laughs> I love it. You got to drop a little teaser of that some, some, somewhere. That's amazing. <laughs> okay. To a comic strip or something. I think that'll be great. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I study a lot of podcasts and books on startups. And one of the really common things they say is fail fast. You're in the crypto security interface kind of business. 
you can't fail at all, can you? Oh, yeah, we could fail. <laughs> we could fail so hard. Like, imagine we had a bug on the site if well, someone on our team was insecure. I mean, there's a whole number of ways that something could, like, fail really, really badly. So I think there's two right. parts to this question. The first one is, do you recommend that strategy of just going in there, doing it, making decisions, failing, and, dirty. and changing your strategy so you can get a successful company? And two, the second part of that question is, you personally cannot fail in this space because you're security, because you're a wallet, because oh, you have I this. see. Because so, if you fail, you like really fuck everything up. Yes, yes. You yeah. fuck not only yourself, you <laughs> fuck everybody. So it's like you, yeah. you can't fail. So do you like the fail fast strategy? And second of all, if you like it, how do you do it? but not fail in your specific business? I think like the fail fast, like mantra has kind of been taken to an extreme. And I think that it's kind of being interpreted differently than was probably initially intended. When you start a company or when you start a business, when you have an idea or you start a hobby, whatever you want to call it, right? You're going down this path and you can do one of two things. The first is you can have an idea, start building the product, start building the community, start talking to people, talk to your customers, talk to your users, talk to other people in the space, be involved, keep iterating on your product, keep pushing things, keep making it better, keep analyzing what you're doing and seeing if it can be better, trying different monetization strategies, et cetera. And you can do this like all sort of in public, right? And that's what we did is that we had like a little paper wallet generator. We posted it to Reddit. People were like, oh, this is cool cool. Hey, can you do this? And we're like, yeah, sure. And so we did that. This is sort of like where the fail fast comes from, because the alternative is we could have sat down in August of 2015 and been like, we want to build a paper wallet generator. We want to build my ether wallet as it is today. And then we could have sat there in private building this product like three years. Like we could probably still be building it right now and never once push it out to the world and never once start communicating with people and never once start iterating, just like try to build the perfect version of the product. And the reality is, is that we would have wasted three years of our lives and we probably wouldn't end up where we are now because the reason that we're able to to grow in the way that we did is that we are constantly building features for what people wanted right now. So this is sort of where the fail fast comes in. What they're saying is like, if you have a podcast or you have a little product or you have an idea, get some version of it out as quickly as possible right? so that you can start having conversations with actual people mm -hmm. and start seeing how people actually use it and iterate from there. We probably took it to the extreme in terms of short-term thinking. Like we only did what people wanted right now. Mm -hmm. We never thought about where the product was going to be in a year or two years or three years. And I think that because of that, we made a lot of good decisions in terms of like what features to include. And we were able to react really quickly when the market shifted or when the Dow happened happened or whatever it was, you know, the alternative of like literally building a wallet in private for three years, that would have been a failure mm -hmm. in itself. You know, we would have launched something right now that <laughs> that was probably like so out of touch with what people actually wanted. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't have been able to learn anything and we wouldn't have made any money so far, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that's the best approach. It's, it's very much sticking with the minimum viable product or MVP kind of mindset. Build right. it basic and then evolve it as your customers say it. Yeah, exactly. And and I will say that you have no idea how people are going to use your product. Right. None. You can have the best, most efficient, most educated. You can find people that have built products for their entire life. Like it constantly blows my mind. I will think that I'm doing something, making some choice, or I think that someone wants this feature, whatever it is. And I will think it's so hard in my soul. And I could not imagine the world operating differently than how I think. 
and then we'll push it out to the world and the entire world would just like yell back and be like you're wrong <laughs> give us a quick example of that i want to hear well okay so the generate wallet flow how it used to be on my ether wallet was how i wanted it you just pushed a button and it spat out all your shit it would spit out everything for you you literally click a button it would give you every version of your private key right there no warnings well i had like one warning i was like don't lose this it was like really simple and it was really great because like i personally hate going through like wizards i hate going through step by steps i hate being i feel that they're patronizing i feel like the messaging on my crypto and my ether wallet right now that i wrote by the way so i'm allowed to say this uh <laughs> patronizing <laughs> okay um, i i agree with you on that i i think but, yours could be smoother right but the reality is is that people don't want to just be like thrown into the deep end they shouldn't be thrown into the deep end either right we had twofold like one was like people weren't taking the private key seriously enough because it just like was there it didn't make them go through 10 steps people actually just inherently took the private key more seriously when they had to kind of go through more steps and read more things and then now, two having that messaging was like helpful in order for them to actually learn about what the hell this is but isn't that what coinbase is for coinbase is for the beginners it's for everyone whereas my ether wallet or now my crypto is for the more advanced folks who want full control shouldn't they be given it and, and assumed that perspective yeah, that's what i thought that's exactly what i <laughs> <laughs> but you know when you get about like 20 support messages a day and like one a week is like hey i forgot to save my private key then you're like okay whatever you know like you shouldn't be here. Go back to Coinbase. In about February or March, when this change happened, February or March of 2017, when we were getting about 100 tickets per day and maybe 20 per day were either like losing passwords or private keys, then you got to make a change. And that's why I made that change. And today, people still lose their stuff, but it's way more infrequent, like way, way more. I was probably telling people that, no, we can't recover your private key 20 times a fucking day, which is Oh, mind-boggling. And how many now? Oh, God, way less. Way, okay. way less. Maybe and you need a Microsoft 101. <laughs> yeah, we probably... I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we need. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's I like, a lot. <laughs> I like that. I like when people... I just heard it in your voice. It's like when people say, you know what you need? And it's like, I know what I need. I need a lot of <laughs> shit. Just shut up. I get it. <laughs> there's so much that we want to do in terms of like the user experience and making things easier to understand. There's so much like kind of low-hanging fruit that we can just eliminate. Yeah, there's a lot. Have you considered writing up like a milestone sheet on your my crypto so people could see where you want to take it and maybe even fund you with Patreon or, or donations? Next on my list is to like finish up our big long roadmap. It's a big long mess in an Excel sheet right now, but we're making it like more presentable so that both us internally and hopefully the, the external world can look at it and kind of see where we're going. But there's a lot of stuff going on. Like we have a lot of UX stuff going on. We have infrastructure stuff going on. We have the new beta launch, which is coming out like this week. We have security stuff. Like we have so many different moving pieces. So getting it all sort of on paper has been a priority for the last like two months straight, actually. Taylor, thank you so much for answering all our questions about the crypto business space and how you are dealing with it and sharing a lot of advice with our listeners. Well, thank you guys so much for having me on again. And it's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You got it.
Thank you for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. I want to say thank you to Danny for helping me out with this episode. Danny, it's always a pleasure. And before we go, like always, ApogeeCrypto.com. That's A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com. The best place to check your real-time prices. Even though the prices are going down, you can still check them there. And WinMoon.co, the best place to hear your fuddy news. Well, it's just not all fud. It's just fud right now. But you can get all your news at WinMoon.co. And in our next episode, we're going to hop on with Snappy Snap of Pivx. And we're going to talk about Privacy Coins 101. We'll see you in that episode. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.